And so when man or woman or family who are, are burying a loved one, when they hear this and that person has known the Lord Jesus and are saved, they find it really speaks to them and gives them the hope that is in the Word of God. But you know, this psalm isn't just for funerals. This psalm isn't just for thanksgiving services as we remember the lives of our loved ones. This psalm is more than that. This psalm is a testimony. This psalm was written by David, and some think because of him being a shepherd boy that he had maybe written it uh, as he was a boy. But really, this psalm is older. And now an older man has been looking back at the relationship he had with his God. And it's the relationship of a shepherd with the sheep. And David could compare those things and David could relate to it because he was a shepherd of sheep and how he would care and tend for the sheep and how he would love them and bring them to places to feed them, to meet their need and to supply for them and how he would guard them and guide them and fight for them. And as they were fighting, uh, feasting, the shepherd would be fighting. Shepherd would be guarding while they were in a lax state and he could relate to this. And so when he's looking back, he's saying, Lord, as I tended those sheep, so you're my shepherd. So he starts off, the Lord is my shepherd. Looking as a, a young man, growing right up to now, an older man, an old man, and he's saying, all of these years, you've looked after me. And David had many times when he was on the run from Saul or when he was on the run from his son Absalom, when he was hiding in caves and holes in the rocks and across the mountains and when he was in Hungary and when he was fighting, he always looked to him. And God was there all the time, even through the difficult times. And now as a witness and as a testimony, he's looking as an older man back and he says, the Lord is present tense. I'm an older man. The Lord is. Right now, he says, in my old age, the Lord doesn't leave you in your old age. The Lord doesn't leave you whenever you're on a deathbed. The Lord doesn't leave you when you close your eyes and sleep, as it were. The Lord doesn't leave you at those times. He says, all the way you're with me. Every step of it, you're with me. Throughout all eternity, you're with me. For he says in the very last verse, he says, surely and goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. In other words, in this life, goodness and mercy will follow me. Or the idea is that goodness and mercy, you love me so much, you will hunt me down. That you want to bless me, Lord, and look after me more than I even dare to imagine. That you're with me even more than I dare to believe. That you want to hold me and nurse me more than I could even dare to care. He says, because your great love for me has never changed. And surely goodness and mercy will hunt after me. And even just yesterday as we were talking about it, we were reminded of how an old preacher once says, goodness and mercy were two sheepdogs. You had the shepherd and his two sheepdogs hunting you down, looking after you. And now as an older man, he's saying, and now the Lord is still today, and I know he always will be. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Listen, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But from all the days of his life, there's a valley of a shadow of death. And he says, even there, I'll not be afraid, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, there's people 
being launched out into eternity, even right this very moment, without Christ. They haven't got this shepherd. They don't know him. They've never walked with him. They don't have a testimony. They've never called on him. Even like the the thief on the cross at the last moment, they've never put their faith in him. They don't know him whatsoever. And they're launched out into a valley of the shadow of death. and, And there's plenty of fear because there's plenty of evil. But brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, when you know him, when you're saved, when you trust him, no matter what comes in this life, nor in the life that is to come. Whatever comes in this life, nor if you close your eyes in the sleep of death, even through that valley, he's with you. And you will fear no evil. Your flesh and your self may fear in this life, even though the Lord is with you, but on that time, when this, uh, this vehicle that we, uh, we inhabit and dwell in these bodies of ours are led into a ground, what we find is as we are launched on out into the realms of the valley of the shadow of death, that he comes and he takes us to be with himself, that where I am there, ye may be also. And from there, he brings us to his glorious kingdom, brings us even at the resurrection and our full redemption has made new in him. He says, and even in my old age, he says, the Lord is right now. You're still my shepherd. Lord, I've done many wrong things. I've failed you. I've fallen. I've let you down. Lord, I've committed adultery. I even wrote the Death notice, he says, for Uriah the Hittite because I, I, I had relations with his wife and she fell pregnant with my child. Lord, I've done that and yet you call me a man after your own heart. Lord, I've done that yet you've anointed me and yet, Lord, you've still never left me. See, brothers and sisters, people tend to think that grace is only in the new covenant. God has always been gracious. God has always been kind. God has always been tender and merciful and compassionate to us. God has always looked at his own and loved them with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, he has drawn them time and time and time and time again. And even that flows, as it were, in a greater measure through the cross of Christ. And you and I are now in this wonderful covenant relationship with our own shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The word Lord here is the word Jehovah. I prefer the word Yahweh. I feel it's a closer word to the original, but nevertheless, we'll use Jehovah for tonight. He's saying, Jehovah is my shepherd. You see, it depends who your shepherd is and whom you're listening to and whom you're following and where you're going. Because I'm going to show you to to be a shepherd or to be called a shepherd is one thing. To be one is another. You see, God is who he is because that's his nature, his attributes. God is love, but love is not all that God is. And here he says, you're also my shepherd, the one who cares for me, the one who has loved me. And so Jehovah is my shepherd. And the word for shepherd is the word ra'ah. Jehovah is my 
this time, this present tense. In my old days, he says, he's my Raha. So when David is saying this, we must look at the word Raha. It also means, and it's used to denote not only what a shepherd is, but what a shepherd does. For example, the word shepherd here, or the word Raha for shepherd, it's used 75 times for the word feed, F-E-E-D. So the context isn't right if you were to say, uh, the Lord or Yahweh or Jehovah is my feed. So shepherd is what he is, but feed is what he does. 75 times to feed, it's used, Ra'ah. For example, in 1 Samuel 17, in verse 15, young David, out as a shepherd boy, is brought in before Jesse, his father, and his brothers are there, and we know then there's an anointing with oil from Samuel the Lord. He calls David, he anoints David. David's to be anointed in the place of the throne of Yahweh. And they anoint Queen Elizabeth on the throne. This is what they're doing. Here in biblical times, they anointed on the throne of Jehovah or Yahweh. And David was anointed, but he had no throne. David was anointed, but he hadn't arrived there yet. David was anointed, but he had to learn. He had to be trained up. God had to stretch him. We're told that David uh, is with some of his brothers. And in 1 Samuel 17 and 15, it says, And David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. This young man who's going to be, to be anointed as king is at the king Saul. Now he's leaving, and he's still no further on in life. Lord, well, what's happening? Am I not your anointed? David, there's a, a time, son. There's a place. There's a purpose. There's a stretching. There's a trial. There's a testing. I'm going to teach you because you're going to need it because if you think the trials you have now are bad, wait till you get in the throne. Brothers and sisters, let's wait on our ministering if we're going to minister. And let us look and say, Lord, we're not where we thought we would be, but what we know is we're in you and we're fine where we are. Because he has it all in control. We're told that David went and returned from Saul, notice, to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the word here, to feed the sheep, is the word for shepherd. To raha, to feed. So we couldn't say David went and returned from Saul to shepherd the sheep because that's what he is and that's what he does. But really, more specifically, he went to feed them. He knew they were hungry. It was in his heart and it was in his mind. And you know what happens whenever we get then to 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 2? David is anointed king over both the houses of Israel, over all Israel, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He's anointed over them all. And when he's anointed then, he's stepping up and he's standing in. But his troubles are only beginning. He still has to rule. He still has problems. 
But he knows this anointing. He knows God's hand is on him. And he knows God has placed him there. And because God's hand has been on him, because God has anointed him, because God's hand is, is with him and placed him there, he knows that whenever trial comes, whenever trouble hits him, that he can say, well, Lord, you have placed me there. I leave it in your hands, in your care and keeping. It's a wonderful thing about waiting on God and knowing this ministry I have is of God because when all hits the wall and when all seems to go wrong, you can say, well, Lord, I know you have brought me. I know you have placed me in this ministry or in this place or wherever it is or whatever you're doing. And I know you've done it. And it's all hitting against me, Lord. But you've got a bigger purpose. There's a bigger picture, brother. There's a bigger picture, sister. Listen, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. If God calls the qualified, then God does not receive the glory. But when God calls you in your weakness and your minuteness, And he says, now here is a measure of mine anointing. I'm going to teach you in that. You might have to fight your lion, your giant, and your bear. Oh my. You might have to. But it's for your training. It's for overcoming. It's for your help. It's for your inner lining, your spiritual enhancement, and your building up because there's a greater anointing coming. Brother, sister, if you stay faithful in God, there's a greater anointing coming. And that day, suddenly, David, David isn't king over all of Israel. All of Israel won't have him. Suddenly, all of Israel realize they need him. You know why they need him? Because God placed it within him. He says, we need you. Will you come back? Will you lead us? Will you rule over us? And teach us the ways of the Lord. There's a greater anointing coming. God has given a measure, and he will increase it. But we must learn to be patient, stay faithful. Listen to what 2 Samuel 5 and 2 says after David is anointed over all Israel. This is after the death of Saul. Quoting God's word to David at his anointing, they give a promise that the Lord had given to David years ago. Has God given you a word years ago and you think he's forgotten about it? He can't forget about it. If God has given you a word, he cannot forget about it because he said it. It's impossible for him to forget about it. The word that he gave you, maybe when you were 10 years old and maybe you're 110 years old, it still stands the same. And he's saying, well, you know, there's no time with me. We think a a week is long or a year is long or 10 years is long. And the Lord says, I've anointed you once. I'll tell you what to do. Trust me. And when we come through it, there's a greater anointing, David. Suddenly, Saul's gone. They're looking. They're wondering what to do next. And get David. This is the man who slew Goliath. 
the Philistine giant and champion. See, God's anointing was on him and they recognized the anointing. Listen to what it says. They said to him, quoting the Lord, they quoted, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. Thou shalt feed, thou shalt ra'ah. In other words, you'll be a shepherd. I'll be a king. Yeah, but you'll be a shepherd king. You'll be a shepherd king. For example, the shepherd is also used for the word pastor. Jeremiah 3 and 15, the Lord says, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. The word pastor and the word feed are both the same. The word pastor here, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you or shepherd you. But that's what they'll do. But this is what their ministry is. Feed you my word. Like sheep, are fed by a shepherd, feed you with knowledge and understanding. And the word here uh, for uh, pastor is used, uh, raha and pastor is used in conjunction with each other eight times. Eight times. It's also used for the word companion four times. So companion, pastor, feed, shepherd, all come from this one word, Raha. The Lord Yahweh, Jehovah, is my Raha. The word companion, for example, Proverbs 13 and 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. In other words, those who are fed by the lifestyle of others who are wicked, those who are fed by the voice of others who are fools. For the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. In other words, if that's your company, that's what you'll be like. He says, and if you're listening to it all the time, he says, you're going to get full of it all the time. Listen, if you're in the company of someone who's never satisfied, you'll be never satisfied. If you're in the company of someone who's always negative, you will turn out negative. If you're in the company of someone who's hateful with people, you'll turn out hateful. If you're in the company with someone who's always angry, your spirit will turn out angry and you'll be destroyed with it. But if you're in the company of Christ and feed on that, shepherd on it, let him shepherd you with his words, with his fellowship you'll find, then you'll be wise, as the Proverbs has told us. Everyone desires to engrave, this is the words of Charles Bridges, listen, everyone desires to engrave his own image upon his companions. We naturally take our mold from their society. Brother, sister, who or what are becoming are you becoming more alikened unto? Who or what are you having as your companion? And who or what are you feeding from? Who or what is your shepherd, your raha, your companion and your pastor? Who is it that's leading you by the nose? 
and saying things and taking from your mind the things that are godly and the things that are true and the things that are wholesome, even if it's another Christian. Brothers and sisters, don't feed on these things. Don't feed on them because then we end up being bred to be like them. Feed on the things that are true and honest and of a good report, things that are godlike, Christ-like. Listen, on the day of Pentecost, Peter cried in Acts 2 and 40, save yourselves from this untoward generation. If we're always messing about with the world or if we're in worldly actions, that world will wash over you. You'll be filled with it and polluted with it. And Peter says, save yourselves, not that man can save himself, but what he means is run to Christ. Ephesians 5 and 11, Paul cries, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Don't even get into fellowship where there's unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove it. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 16, we'll not read it, but it says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's not to say we don't work with people. It's not to say we don't witness to people. We don't love them or minister to them. It means to partake of their deeds and their ways. Listen to this. This is what we should be like. Psalm 16 and 3. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Let me give you the way it will read. Fellowship and make them your companion, the saints that are in the earth. Fellowship and make them your companion in whom I delight and you delight in them. What is it that delights your heart? Does his presence delight your heart? Does his word delight your heart? Does his service delight your heart? Does praying delight your heart? Does just loving him delight your heart? Then let your heart be delighted in him and in those who are of the same mind. Make Christ your your companion and fellowship with him. Listen, let's go to Psalm 23 and verse 1 again. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, is my shepherd. He is my raha. In other words, he feeds me and I feed on him. I feed off him. He's my companion. Listen, he's also my healer. In Ezekiel 34 and verse 16, listen to what the Lord said. I will seek after that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away. I will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. I will destroy the fat and the strong and I will feed them with judgment. The word here for broken is again the word for shepherd. Raha. Strange. I will bind up that which was shepherd. Doesn't work. I will bind up that which was fed. Doesn't work. But it's in the context it's in. And if we can get it, we'll see God's wonderful healing power. How he wants to heal not only spirits and souls, but bodies. And this is actually national. Israel had been broken into two kingdoms after David, after Solomon and Rehoboam, his son. 
Israel being broken up and scattered, and the Lord says, I'm going to bind them back again. I'm going to heal them. And how does he do it? He's done it through his son sending forth the gospel of saving grace. For example, he also says, I will strengthen that which was sick. Let me just show you the, the, the national aspect of this. Isaiah the prophet says, in Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 4 and 5, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, they are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. And the Lord says here, when I look at your nation and I see what was going on in it, he says it's like a, it's like a running sore that hasn't been looked after and it's turning septic. It's infected and it's, it's just a mess before me. He says, you're a sinful people and they brought in idols and they brought all sorts of worship and they just became vulgar and depraved and not only the worship but their ways. And God looked at them and he says, when I look at you, he says, you're a stench before me. And so Israel are broken up. They're sick and they're broken up and they're scattered. And, and in Christ we are now made whole again and made one through the gospel of saving grace. And in that gospel, in that word, there are healing qualities, healing words, beautiful words. He says, I will heal you. You were broken, but I'll heal you. And a nation's made up of many individuals. You're all different. We prayed earlier, Lord, as our faces differ, so do our needs, and you know every one of them. And we were praying in such a way like that this afternoon just before the meeting here. And as we're looking at that, we see that a nation is full of individuals. And so maybe you're broken. Broken in spirit and broken in heart and broken in mind. and Broken in finances. Maybe whatever way you're broken. The Lord says, look, in me, if you put your trust in me, he says, I'll bind the brokenhearted. I'll heal your wounds. But Lord, how would you do that? Well, I'll give you my son. I'll give you the very um, darning of my bosom and the very apple of my eye. I'll give you my only begotten son and he will bear it all for you. Brothers and sisters, this is what we have in Christ. Not which was broken, Raha, our great shepherd, he came and he died for us. So the word shepherd or raha is some 63 times in the Old Testament. In Psalm 23, I just want to run through these briefly and quickly, these verses. When the psalmist says the Lord is my shepherd, we notice a personal touch. He's mine. You know, 
we here in Britain could have said for many years, even as the old hymn writer said, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. But we have no right to say that anymore as a nation because we've turned our backs on him. The only one who keeps a covenant relationship with him is him. Personally speaking, when we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are saved by his sovereign grace, we are in a covenant that cannot be broken. First of all, you see how it is personal, but the Lord showing himself as a shepherd to an emotional level is seen in Psalm 80. And we'll just flick through quickly. You, can, you don't need to turn it. You can write it down. But Psalm 80 in verse 1, he's called, it says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock. Joseph was the northern house of Israel. Ten tribes in the north, he says, you're leading us like a flock, but you were scattered. But didn't he say, I'll bind you, and I'll gather you? Isn't that what he's done with us? So he's a national shepherd here. In Isaiah 40, in verse 11, he's seen as a caring shepherd. A caring shepherd. He shall feed his flock as a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arm, with his arms and carry them in his bosom. Isn't this very familiar where the Lord talks about uh, the parable in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, where he talks about the, the 99 sheep in the pen and one goes astray and he comes carrying the sheep over his shoulders with him, saying, Rejoice for me because I've found that sheep that was went astray. Doesn't this show you how caring he is where a shepherd would minister to his sheep and treat his sheep? Always look for maybe uh, injuries and little lambs that were too weak. He had lifted the lamb that was weak and put it over his shoulders and he had walked with it over his two shoulders. Yet in the deity and in the power of his deity, in Isaiah 9 and 6, we're told that the Lord has the government upon his shoulder, one shoulder, he can take the whole of our government, yet for the care for his sheep, he puts it right over the two of them. How doubly secure are you when you surrender your life to Christ? And Jesus says, you're in my Father's hand, and you're in my hand, and my Father, which is greater than I, he says, you're in his hand too. And you're over his two shoulders and he's bringing them home and he's rejoicing that he has brought us into the fold and he's rejoicing that you and I are saved. He's rejoicing that he shall see the travail of his own soul and he should be satisfied. You know, and getting us into the fold was, well, it took a death of Christ. It took the blood to be shed to get us back into the fold and to bind our wounds and to heal us and to help us and, and to forgive us of all our sins. It took him to go to a cross a shepherd would go to the cross, and we'll look at it in a moment, but here, he's a caring shepherd. He says, I will gather the flock, and I, I'll lift them with my arms and carry them close to my bosom or my heart. It's possible, brothers and sisters, in the Spirit, to listen for the heartbeat of God. What is your heartbeat today, Lord? Sitting quiet in the times of distress, 
Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'm sitting quiet before you. And the heartbeat of God comes and he wings it home to your heart and he imprints it upon your mind through his word. And he lifts your spirit again. And he says, see, I'm carrying you, child. I'm carrying you, little lamb, you're mine. You hear the heartbeat of God. Wasn't John blessed when he lay against Jesus' breast at supper? You could hear the heartbeat of God. He's known also as the ruling shepherd. Ezekiel 34 and 23, God says, I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed. Here we go again. The shepherd shall shepherd, but it's whom he is and what he does. Do you know, it's so natural, if I could use that word, out of God's own attribute of love for you, to want to help you, to want to feed you, to want to strengthen you, to want to encourage you, to want the best for you. As his sheep, he he just loves you. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to do cartwheels. You don't need to play certain tricks. You don't have to act up to get any sort of attention, whether it's positive or negative attention. You don't need to, to be extra special. You, you don't need to be the greatest of, of evangelists and you, you don't need to be the greatest of preachers. And you don't need to be the greatest of, of worship leaders or musicians or singers. He just loves you because you're his sheep. He just loves you. feed you. It's a natural thing for a shepherd like David thought. I gotta go feed the sheep. David, you're the anointed. Yeah, that's why I'm going. Here, the ruling shepherd has set up one shepherd over the sheep. Then we have the smitten shepherd in Zechariah 13 and 7. Listen to what it says. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. And against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep will be, shall be scattered. And here in Zechariah, the prophet is saying, there's a smitten shepherd. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And it's even true in many church uh, uh, assemblies when the shepherd is smitten, many sheep are scattered. Or when the shepherd's not here, many sheep go scattered. (laughs) And it's true that the, the sheep get used to the shepherd and they know when their feeding time is. Because the shepherd cares and the shepherd loves and he pours in oil and he poured in uh, into their cuts. He, he, he nursed them, he carried them, he brought them up, he reared them, he seen them grow. He's anointed their heads with oil and he's brought them to pleasant pastures. He brought them to places to, to drink from. And the sheep get big and the sheep get boisterous. And some sheep say, you know what, I, I think I'll go this way. But they get into danger. Christ says, I'm the chief shepherd. I'm the shepherd that my father has spoken of. Notice this. 
Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow. Christ dying on the cross, he's the smitten shepherd. Wounded for me. Wounded for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. Gone my transgressions, and now I am free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. So in the Old Testament, we have a personal shepherd who is a national shepherd, who is a caring shepherd, who is a ruling shepherd, who is a smitten shepherd. But Lord, you're mine, and these are all pictures and foreshadowings of something. When does it become into reality? When does the reality of this come? Well, in John chapter 10 and verse 11, the Lord Jesus, the shepherd who was David's shepherd, Israel's shepherd, who was the ruling shepherd, who becomes the smitten shepherd, he's your caring shepherd. He who was the national shepherd of Israel. In John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In other words, there's no shepherd like this one. There's no other shepherd can do what I'm going to do. He says, I am the good shepherd and I'm going to give my life for you. That's how much I care. The good there is the word telos. And it means I am the winsome shepherd. I am an attractive shepherd. A beautiful shepherd. a different story when we turn to the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah comes off with a, a, a word that shows us what men are really like when they see him, when they look at the wonderful Christ. Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Man doesn't want Christ. There's no beauty in him for anyone out there. There's no beauty in the natural eye. There's no beauty to the natural heart. There's no beauty to the darkened heart of the prey of humanity. They don't see the beauty of Christ and his cross, but rather they want him taken down. They want him carried away. They want him put in a tomb. They want him out of their sight. There's no beauty in him that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted of grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, eh? He says, yet I'm attractive. This is what he means. He says, and I, even I, when I be lifted up off the earth, he says, I will draw all men unto me. All that the Father hath given to him will come to him. 
so attractive. His grace to the unregenerate heart, his sovereign grace, his saving grace, the moving off his Holy Spirit moves in such a fashion and such power. Maybe the gentleness is so powerful or maybe the conviction is so challenging to man and woman. His irresistible grace draws you to the cross. I run through these quickly and finish. Not only is he the good shepherd who giveth the life of the sheep, but that means he's the saving shepherd then. He giveth his life. He's also the great shepherd. Hebrews 13 and 20 says that he's the great shepherd, and, and it means he's the mega shepherd. In other words, he's a, the big shepherd. He's the shepherd above all shepherds. And there's none like him. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 25 says he's the gathering shepherd. The shepherd and bishop of your souls he is called, or the overseer, where he's the one who gathers and he arranges for us, who's head over his church. So he's the, he's the gathering shepherd. He's the shepherd and the, the bishop of your souls. And First Peter 5 and 4 calls him the chief shepherd who will appear in glory. The chief shepherd, he is the shepherd who is good, yet the Savior who is smitten. He is the shepherd then who is great, and the shepherd who has gathered us, and he's a shepherd who's coming again. The chief shepherd. So when David says in Psalm 23 and verse 1, the Lord Jehovah is my shepherd, Jesus didn't realize there's, I was talking to Andrew yesterday, the children were having their fun day here, and had a great day. I was talking to Andrew yesterday and he mentioned the Russellites being out, Jehovah Witnesses. We're Jehovah Witnesses. We're the real ones. They're charged his Russellites because they deny the deity of Christ. He's only a man. He's only a man. But in this we see that he is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is Israel's shepherd. And he's coming back to shepherd his sheep. So Yahweh, Jehovah is my Raha, who feeds me. He wants to feed you. Who leads me. He wants to lead you. Who heals me. He wants to heal you. He's my companion, the one who draws near to me and fellowships. Look at verse 2. We have a shepherd of peace. Psalm 23 and verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, a shepherd of peace. We have in verse 3, a shepherd of strength and righteousness. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. Listen, for his name's sake. See, when you go wrong and he draws you into the way and you're fighting and you're kicking against the pricks like Paul did. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goads of the pricks? You know, in other words, why are you walking so uncomfortably because you're, you're fighting against my will for you when you come on the line? He says, listen, it's for your own good. It's for your own benefit. It's for my namesake. 
He's not doing it for my name's sake. He's doing it for his own name's sake. Verse 4, he is the shepherd of protection and assurance. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. And he's the shepherd of blessing in verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Listen, David as an old man never forgot the day he sent Samuel to anoint him with oil. He never forgot the day when that stretching and that trial of that anointing. Where are you with anointing? How do you treat this anointing? What do you do with this anointing? Are you worthy of my anointing? Now you can be anointed king over Israel, my sheep. I never forgot that. He says, oh, you've anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And he's the shepherd of heaven. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is the all encompassing shepherd. Encompassing simply gives the idea of a moat dug around a castle and filled with water. The whole way around it, everywhere you go, there's the moat and the water. That's all encompassing. And Christ is all those things who looks after us, who feeds us, who saves us, who keeps us, who cleanses us, who justifies us. That's all in the shepherd. He gave his life for his sheep. May God bless his word to all our hearts tonight. Thank you for your attention. It's been tremendous. You just sense the Lord speaking and really drawing our hearts.